0: we look at a little bit more of Luke 18, a little earlier in Luke 18 than we had, but let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word, we're grateful for your son, we're grateful for a roof over our head. Thank you for this time in your word with the saints, in your son's name we pray, amen. We're Luke 18, and uh, it's one of those situations where Luke has a few pieces of the Lord's life that aren't replicated in the other synoptics. And it's a tidy little, you might say, jumping through different circumstances we have in Luke eighteen one. You know, persistence in prayer as a parable, and then self righteousness, uh, uh, yeah, where Kenny started reading. So I suppose you should you don't have to pay attention until. You get to where Kenny started reading because that's where the miracle started to happen. So she read on. But then she read past what I'm covering. And then there's the, the bringing the infants to Christ. And it's fine to, you know, trim it down to one of those events. So I was trying to think in terms of holding them together somehow and, and gaining the benefit Uh, the Lord gives to us through these teachings. And what I noticed was, I thought of this passage last night in bed. Um, I don't know what prompted it. Um, For some reason I was thinking about, I grew up a Southern Baptist. And in Southern Baptist churches you have an altar call. Now, you have never had an altar call in this church, maybe when it was a Baptist church, but not when we've had it. And I don't have an objection to an altar call. I think many people have gotten saved that way. That's almost the only way you can get saved in you know, altar call, call churches. They, no, please come forward. because they, they, they like that moment. One of the concerns I've always had about altar calls and people going forward is, we even as Good Baptists at the time, we realized. Uh, I've seen these people go forward before. I've seen have seen this rededication, this getting saved uh, repeatedly. Begin to uh, scratch your little youthful chin, and consider whether or not this was entirely honest. Now I've I've mentioned before. My brother and I and some others would have um, sponsored famous people coming in to give talks at the university or bands or something, back in the 80s. And uh, I remember one, one of the persons had, you know, they had cards that we hand out to the crowd at the student union building on campus, and people would fill it out if they had made a commitment to Jesus Christ. We had 400 and some odd cards filled out, commitments to Jesus Christ. Famous guy leaves town. We're doing follow-up. One of them was saved. One of them. People are in performance mode. You know that. The Lord, the Lord says, don't pray on the street corner. Don't do that. Don't announce your gift. Don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. So to some degree, as I was looking at this passage, I was looking at these instructions for your private religion, things that you have to check and you have to check privately because in some ways it's hard to be honest with yourself But it's public, when it's part of the church. Now, we pray together. Have you been to other churches where somebody's asked to pray and they walk up to the podium and all of a sudden... Their normal English turns to King James English, and, and I don't fault the person. I mean, they think that's Christian language, you know, that's how you talk. That's how St. Paul wrote, so that's how you should talk. We're subject to that. And one of the things I've tried to do in, in this church, and I don't know if I've succeeded because, you know, you never know, you don't know how influenced you are by the social moment. Uh, some people commented to my wife, who people who don't normally hear me, at, from my daughter's wedding, Ben and Michael's wedding, because I gave, you know, the homily, the short little hee, and they weren't used to a pastor who talked to them as, uh, as if it was a talking to you. So this is, you say, yeah, pretty much that's how Evan talks in the library at the big house. This is pretty much it, you know. No, I don't have, uh, sincerity is not measured by whether or not you use unction. But we know we have to watch out for those circumstances where our behavior socially is affected by the fact that it's social. You want to check some things because so much of this religion of yours, if you have it, is how you stand with God, not how you stand with this group with God or how people think of you in this group. Pleasing them, not pleasing your God. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. These two parables here, he tells you what they're about going in. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor regarded man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Vindicate me against my adversary. We have no knowledge of what this lawsuit was based on. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will vindicate her, or she will wear me out by her continual coming. That's one of probably the most real parable you got out of Jesus Christ in terms of an illustrative quality. It doesn't even make the, the protagonist a good guy. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God vindicate his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will vindicate them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? God, our God is there. Basic lesson is our God is there to answer far more speedily the petitions of his people than you think even an unrighteous judge would do to be out from under the constant request. He's saying God will vindicate you speedily. But his concern, he has a conclusion to this parable. It's not that, ah, God is this way, you should learn that. He's also saying something about us. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will we find faith on earth? I always like that verse for my eschatological conversations because Jesus Christ doesn't know if there will be any believers at the end. But that's a side point. Nevertheless, We've got so many needs. uh, Somebody was saying the other night in the library, I think it was Manisha, um, that our affluence, America. There's a computer that turns on the heat in this 1887 building at five in the morning. So it's nice and warm when you shuffle in here late with your special whatever kind of cup you have from whatever kind of prestige coffee you picked up on the way. North Idaho, barbarism. How much we don't lean on our God, we don't seek him for vindication in anything, seek him for provision in anything. We. And even when we do need, we somebody says, would you pray for me on this? And you say, okay, honey, we've got to pray for it at least once. Because that means that we kept our word, we pray for it once. This is a measure of us. This is not a measure of our God. Our God's saying, this is what I'm like. I'm, you could compare me to an unrighteous judge. If only I had the kind of people who kept coming at me with their requests. We find out who we are and what we value. You've, you've heard of, uh, what's the current current thing online? It's a little bit, it's, it's getting tired, it's getting tired now, the Karen thing, right? And you've ever, you almost had that moment when you begin to ask your kids, Mother's Day, kids, is your mother a Karen you don't want to hear, yes, mother, you are. Especially when you had a coupon that just expired. Or something was faulty. One of our a friend of ours in Boise, he called me up. I just published this book of short stories, and she'd ordered a copy from Amazon and it came to her, missing about four pages. But I didn't even want to suggest to her that you should take it up with Amazon because that's just Karen fodder right there. But you know, you know, if you don't get your order right at the restaurant, how quick we are to politely probably mention it to the waiter that the steak is not entirely done correctly. Don't mean to bother you, but we will, we will bring it up. Double charge you on the receipt. What, they charged me for two oranges? I got one. So hop in the car, drive across town at the cost of, you know, $1.50. Orange costs 75 cents. But you've got to straighten it out. Now, we're going to trust that you've got good hearts in straightening this stuff out. But who you praying to? Who do you believe answers things in life? The widow, she had this judge but she, who wasn't a good man and didn't like God either, but we, it measures who we are, where we make our petitions, how we valued our world, how important. Because God says, at the end of the day, I'm wondering if I have anybody who believes in me at the end of the day. Because if you believe... Famous back for, for decades now, everyone talked about Nordstrom's because Nordstrom's has a great service department. The myths the, 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 the myth of a guy returning a set of tires to Nordstrom's for a refund. They don't sell tires, they took the tires and refunded him his money. Now, I don't know if that's uh, apocryphal, but they're like that and oh boy if only if only nordstroms was our god but it's not our god who is responsive this way will not god vindicate his elect who cry to him day and night do you value it that way do you, or, this is a checking point on whether or not You're one of those Christians who will not be believing in your Christ in any kind of operative way when the Lord returns. Oh, I I believed in you, but I didn't really think you were, like, you know, really there in such a way that in any of my needs I would petition you rather than trying to take it back to the county courthouse or Nordstrom Service Department. What do you do with the need in your life? Do you believe in your God ordinately? Not saying you don't believe in your God, but is he ordinately placed where he ought to be? One of the reasons, and I've mentioned this before over, We've been a church for 31 years. Been in this building for half of that, almost. And one of the things over the years people have noted about All Souls Christian is it does not offer you any services. I mean, we have church service, but we don't. No programs. Accidental programs would be, uh, oh, a potluck just you know, bursts out uh, randomly. We don't have any staff, we don't have a phone, we don't receive mail here, it has to be sent to my house. Um, What else don't we do? And people have come up and clasped my hand, having lived in evangelicalism for a while. They walk into All Souls Christian Church and realize, I'm not going to be asked to be on any committee or teach any Sunday school. That is correct, you will not be. They, cl- you know, the tears streaming down, sobbing, hiccuping sobs, thanking me. And on we go through, you know, I, this place should be packed. It should, it should be packed. Christians looking for a place they don't have to perform any kind of Christian duties at the church. The reason we do that. The reason we do that. Is the more you can be left to your own devices, the more likely, when Juvenal says, know thyself, the more likely you will know yourself. You will not be seeing yourself through the the filters of Christian performance. Whatever they are, as good as it may be, it's good to teach the young people a Sunday school class. It's good to have a choir that sings beautifully the the things of God. No objection to them, but I'd much rather have you find out whether or not you're a Christian. That when you sit up, when you go home, it's not going to be how much you did X, Y, or Z at all souls at church. It's whether or not you continually went to God in prayer, like the widow who wanted to be vindicated, are you one of the Lord's faithful? To always pray and not lose heart, um, that persistence. There's a, I was talking to somebody, I think it was Abby, maybe Black Kenny, I don't know, somebody, maybe both of them, about body voice oh your body language. Body language is what you, your facial expressions, your, your actions. Some people know perfectly well that a liar always looks down and to the left when they're, being lying, when they're lying. So they practice not doing that so they can lie effectively. Everyone knows that body things, kids learn very very early on how to stand, how to sit, how to how to communicate, how to act, what to do. Our bodies are declaring things. Now, this is not a falsity. It's a real language. We know we gesture. Um, Somebody was telling me that the reason my sermons don't translate well into text is because you can't get all the facial expressions and the movements down. I'm incoherent. If you just typed out what I said, um, half sentences us, you knows. The thing you have to face in your selfness is that we have, we know that language, just like someone who will talk pious language to you, hoping that you, the pastor, will hear all the piety in their language and uh, believe you to be pious, because you're not trying to prove to you that you're prized because you know you're not and there are people who do all the deeds in the church help out because it's a language as well they want to be seen as this not be this if anything you go away with today is am i being entirely honest because In those moments when it tells you to pray in secret, because the father who hears in secret will reward you, you know when you're in the closet praying. You know how silly it is talking to yourself like that. But here you are doing it. And knowing that the only possible other person who could know you're praying is God himself. All devices are taken away from you about who you're performing for this doesn't mean people shouldn't serve in the church this doesn't mean that the deeds of the body voice shouldn't be said but it should come from who you are and be honest so that when i say something it's what i meant to say and how i meant to say it to whom i meant to say it so that when i perform a good deed in the church it's because i have become a good person and good people do good things You're supposed to know, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You're one of those. You're currently alive. Here we all are. Are we going to disappoint our Christ in who we are? When we're alone, we know something about ourselves. Do you persist in prayer and not lose heart? Because he's going to know you believe. That's how he knows. Do you ever think of? Pra- I had this thought years ago when I read C.S. Lewis's problem of petitionary prayer. Lewis could not come up with an answer. Why do we pray when God, God already knows what we need? Right? He says he knows what we need before we ask him. Why are we asking him? Because he doesn't know. You know you need it. As soon as I say mother may I have some orange juice she knows you need orange juice I'm not an idiot but her son might be an idiot now you've all been sons and daughters and you've all been idiots so you know that saying something you saying something you start to realize that your body voice your actual acting your 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 soul voice when you speak of things especially when you speak of them alone begin to have an idea of who you are i don't know if you've had that con and i when we talk about things on sometimes on mondays we call it walking the edge of the abyss because sometimes those Autonomous crises, that moment where you realize I am it, I'm this is it, this is some threatening solipsism. You know, you get this. Is this how do I know anything is true? Those are good moments for you. You gotta know who you are, you gotta know that you're a complete tool. And you know that you need to be forgiven for your very tool-like responses to life, and only God can forgive you, and you have gotta talk like you believe in a God in your room, in your closet, to the ceiling, on your knees. He told them this parable, verse 9, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Now, I have heard countless pastors you know, laughingly refer to that Pharisee praying to himself, like, no, praying with himself. It was private prayer. He was not the showy-offy type of Pharisee. He was not the street corner guy who was praying to be seen by men. He was praying with himself. If you had seen him in the temple, a Pharisee, you know, standing over by himself, head bowed, hands praying. Well, what could be more real than that? Well, that's the, that's the horrifying thing, It's how real it is. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men. It's getting a little uncomfortable right about here. Other men, you know, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. Now, that was his prayer. We have no evidence that it wasn't true. Christ could have prayed that prayer. Right? He wasn't an extortioner, as far as I'm aware. Nor was he unjust, or an adulterer, or even like that tax collector. He goes, he's a thanking God that he's not that way. Thank God that I'm not like this, and I'm doing the things, Lord. I'm doing the things, you know, the fasting things, and the and the and the tithing, you know. It doesn't seem like people think this way, but they do. And especially when it gets to the fasting and the tithing, I get into too many conversations with people. Of We don't have a passing the plate thing here, so you make it hard to give, but you know that I'm against the tithe. And uh, when I get into conversations with people, it, they love talking about fasting. And they love talking about tithing. You get, those are some of the most basic Performance modes for people who are religious. How much money do you give to the needs of the temple? How much do you sacrifice the things that are desirable to you? Because that's really that unselfishness, that ability to set aside French fries for that long. Christ could have prayed this, but he wouldn't have prayed this. Being good's not the problem. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. It's what you do with the righteousness that the Pharisee... I mean, Pharisees were like devotees. They were like the navigators of early, late Judaism, I guess. They were not an official group. They were a private club into the law. And he privately inordinately thought of his goodness in reference to other people's lack of it. He was collecting on what felt good about being this kind of pious. I've got everything worked out with God. I thought of something. I have it here on the left-hand side. I think you're... You know, whenever a pastor calls you idiots, you chuckle. <laughs> he doesn't mean that, but you say, "Well, maybe." Okay, so we're, but we're we're, a, we're a serious. bunch. we go to a church that has nobody in it. We sing hymns in a church with nobody in it. There might be thirty people here this morning, maybe thirty-five. Very small. Mother's Day, I guess. How can this not be a good thing? Are we not a good church? You say, what does the pastor think of us we're a bunch of unrepentant sinners? Well, maybe, but for the most part, I think that you're a decent bunch of people. Don't let that go to your head. The difference is, of course you want people to be righteous, and when the church is righteous, it's applauded in the book of Revelation when you have one or two of those churches in Asia that actually get a good report, You like to read the book of Philippians or the book of Colossians because these are Christians who did it right, not like Galatians, Corinth. You like that. You know that that's possible. Christians should never have a PR department talking about our righteousness. Righteousness is done, not dwelt on. That's what a braggart in high school does, right? He really scored the touchdown. But he believes that people need to know about it much more than just the applause at the moment of the touchdown. So next week at school, he's telling people about that touchdown. Because they applauded him a week ago, so they should applaud him now. It's called being a braggart. We should not be pr our the walk of grace we have. We should be thankful but once I start to PR it, I start to say, this is how I'm enjoying it. This is why I'm enjoying it. And boy, this makes me better than that guy. And that guy, the tax collector, verse 13, standing afar off, also by himself. He's not. Bo- both, both their body voices, they're, they took privacy in the temple. One standing by himself, praying with himself. Another standing afar off. It was there's a kind of a reflection of what his actual will about who he is, being measured out and how he stands. Not would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. I was thinking of this. You know how when somebody says "let us pray," you go, "Huh," right? Now some of you do that because you're raised in the church. And you know that You just do that. And when I was in the Navy, we were lined up for some drill on the grinder, and we had all marched around. And the commanding officer of was on the loudspeaker says, "They will be a invocation offered by the chaplain." And at that point, when he says, "Let us pray," you will study your shoe shine. If you don't believe in God, you just look at your shoes. You're not admitting anything except the need to examine your shoes. We all know it's reverent to do. We also know, I was talking, I've mentioned this before, I was counseling a guy who had left his wife and uh, uh, did did not want to go back. And having... I'm having a conversation with him. I said, you know, you don't want to even look up, do you? You don't even want to have your head go back on your neck and look at the heavens. Just the body language of that. There's nothing up there in the clouds that's going to say, go back to your wife. But he felt there was. Just like he felt, not my shoes need to be examined. But then when you revere God, you bow your head. When you revere God, you kneel. It's, it's natural to man that your body will say certain things, but it's also natural to man to kneel to prove to people, to bow your head to prove to people, to perform with false words, basically, false body statements. We want to look reverent, but realize that when you no, your knowledge of yourself... You, you, you know whether you have faith because you know whether or not you ask God for things. And in not asking God for things, if you don't ask God for things, God knows that you don't care for him. You don't believe in him. You believe in Nordstrom's. The tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. I don't know anybody who beats their breast nowadays. Tarzan. Celine Dion. It's not good enough. Different cultures, different things. You might fall to your knees. You might do, if you're in China, the kowtow, the nine obeisances and the 12 prostrations. Your cultures do things different. They know what humility is. And says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's a great lie. It deserves to be the only one in red on that page. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's called, in orthodox circles, which we are not, the Jesus Prayer. I saw a documentary on this. I may have mentioned it in church before. Documentary of some guy following the trajectory of the Jesus Prayer around the Middle East, Central Asia, to various orthodox monasteries. I was going, this is interesting. The Jesus prayer. And I became aware that they're referring to this. Lord Jesus Christ, be merciful to me, a sinner. I said, well, that's a really good prayer. I, I don't agree with the Orthodox. I think they're, you know, not Orthodox. Um, but I kept me in watching the documentary. This guy was, and then, you know, how they interview various monks and various, various things, Then they'd pull back to kind of an ancient looking map of the Central Asia, and a little red line would go across it as he traveled down the highway to the next, you know, monastery. So it kept my interest. I watched it all the way to the end. Somewhat, somewhat blessed by this idea of the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Until the credits rolled. Because then it came down to what the Orthodox would do with this Jesus prayer. There was a monk up in a high tower wall looking over the valley, bobbing up and down and rattling it off a mile a minute repeatedly. Endless repetition you could almost not understand the words that was going so fast. He was trying to say the incantation enough times. Now, in the discovery, you can have righteous people who do does what the Pharisee does. The problem is his PR department. The problem is that he wants to have um, he wants to have a recognition in himself, privately, that he's better than other people. You've got to recognize that if you are better than other people, God bless you and quit thinking about it. Quit discussing it with yourself. Quit, quit you might say, stoking that fire that says, I enjoy being better than other people. Because who goes down to his house justified? The tax collector. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Obviously, it's not wrong to be exalted because the reward of the humble guy is exaltation. Does that turn into a circle there? No, it's who exalts himself. When you're your PR department, when you speak of how you know, you've been in a social situation. Somebody says, you know, I really have really a quirky sense of humor. No, you don't. No one thinks you're funny. If you said you have a quirky sense of humor, that's the closest you got to humor. Because we're all laughing later about that. I was watching some commercial for some Christian ministry. You know Christian movies. It was some Christian movie coming out. And they claimed, in the liner notes that went across the screen as the trailer went by, that it was the funniest. You don't have to tell people something's funny. It is, or it isn't. If you told them, it won't be. (laughs) Suddenly, you get humbled. My father gave me a book years ago, at the end of my days in the Navy, because I was a conceited ass. You say you still are a conceited ass, Evan. <laughs> yeah, but I'm better now. God made me fat, so I couldn't really be that conceited. But the great book—I don't know who wrote it—called "Beyond Humiliation." The basic t- tacit is, uh, is is humble yourself before you get humiliated. Humility will come to you. You won't like it when it comes to you. When somebody else does it to you, it's humiliating. Humble yourself. Step away from yourself because if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. If you exalt yourself, as much as we're desperate for that PR to work out for us, that people admire us and sometimes they just don't figure out how quirky your sense of humor is and so you've got to tell them. So you have... The need to understand who you are before God. Does God believe in you? I mean, that whole idea of, does he believe your faith is there? Why would he think your faith is there regarding him? Does he hear from you in prayer? Now, they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them, of course. But Jesus called to them and said, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That's your Mother's Day bit right there, okay? Moms bringing their kids to Jesus. Let the tears well up now. But what I was looking at, because I'm not a mom, and I have it here on the left-hand side, If you have any integrity at all about who you are with yourself, when you talk about yourself to yourself in your closet so that you know how you're performing, can you hear what's going on? Does Christ believe in you? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He is looking for faith. Does he believe in you? In the second story, the second parable... Is what do you believe about your knees? And I think in our country, it is a difficulty. Some churches are more used to having prayer rails and things like that, and they kneel and genuflect. We're not that. We're Anglo-Saxon Protestants, for heaven's sake. We're upright men. We're Americans. We don't bow. We are Sparta. We have a God. Do you understand? Have you thought about your knees? Have you thought about bowing? Have you thought about your head going down? Is it because you were trained to or because you revere? You have to, you're the one who has sorted out. We can't sort this out as a group. We can't just claim, okay, we've all taught about it, so now you know that it's a real thing. Be reverent when you bow your head. No, you can only work that out yourself. And lastly, about the, you know, the children. You know that you've got to come to Christ as a little child. You say, well, what did he mean by that? I don't care. Are you comfortable, this last line, in the lap of Christ? He wanted to touch them. He wanted to bless them. Is Christianity, is who you are, so disconnected that anything embarrassing, like sitting in the lap of Christ as a child, to be blessed by your Lord, is just not something that you want to think about? Or would you be comfortable? do you have what it takes? Because you shall not enter the kingdom of God unless you come to him as a little child. But I don't know what that means. Figure it out. Looks like you got some work. Nothing like sermons with homework. You got to think about yourself. You got to think about whether you pray, whether you petition, whether you persist, whether you Stand before him, truly honest and not exalting yourself, but humbling yourself. You're not supposed to run around saying, I'm wicked no matter what, even when you're not wicked. That's not the prescription. When you are wicked, you humble yourself. When you aren't, you shut up. You rejoice. Well, that's it. Happy Mother's Day. Whatever you're going to do, probably go to brunch, right? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Thank you for the mothers. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his wisdom and our religion before him. we'd ask that each of us would know that we have bowed the knee, that we think and seek him as our resource and need, that we're comfortable in the faith with our Lord. In your son's name, amen.